During these four Sundays in February, we've been sharing a series of lessons rediscovering evangelism, what the Bible teaches about being salt and light. Call it what you will. Sharing your faith, witnessing, reaching the lost. We're taking a fresh, in-depth look at Jesus' last words, His commission to us, His followers. Now, three Sundays ago, in our first lesson, we focused on redefining evangelism, where we discovered that we must be good news before we can ever share good news. In today's world, more often than not, the unbeliever must first believe the messenger before he or she is ready to believe the message. Two Sundays ago, in our second lesson, we dealt with relationships in evangelism. Statistics show us that 85-90% to of all new believers make their commitment to Jesus Christ as the forgiver and leader of their lives as the direct result of a family member or a friend who cared enough to reach out to them. It's about relationships. And then last Sunday, in our third lesson, We dealt with resistance to evangelism. Evangelism may happen naturally through the webs of our relationships with unbelieving family and friends, neighbors, work associates, schoolmates, and so on, those in our circle of influence. However, evangelism does not happen without resistance. And from the parable of the sower last week, we identified that resistance comes from the seed, Satan's weeds, the sower, that's you and me, who sow the Word, and the soil, That's the heart of the hearer. That brings us then to today's final lesson, readiness for evangelism. Follow along in your Bible as I read 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 15 and 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Don't miss that key phrase there. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. We must always be prepared to share the good news with an unbeliever whenever or wherever the opportunity might present itself. It's about readiness. Now it seems to me that this readiness to evangelize requires at least these ten steps. I call them the ten looks. Okay, Number one, we need to look in. Look in. Our readiness for evangelism begins with a personal character check. A self-examination, if you will. Remember, again, we must be good news, visualization, before we can ever share good news, verbalization. A couple of Sundays ago, we took a look at Paul's instructions in Titus 2, verses 3-10. through And from that passage, we learned that we must live our lives in such a way so that no one will malign the Word of God. So that those who oppose us may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that in every way, we will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That's the kind of life we have to live. I love the way that the message paraphrases 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? Through thick and thin... Oops, there we are. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ your Master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. 
Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. (laughs) I love the way he says it that way. As you look in, as you do a self-examination of your own life, can you honestly say that you keep a clear conscience before God? That's the question. In this election year when candidates and parties are so busy throwing mud at each other, digging up whatever dirt they might be able to find, can you honestly say that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick? That's the kind of exemplary life that we need to live. And so first, our readiness for evangelism requires that we look in. Number two, we need to look around. Look around. Our readiness for evangelism requires that we look around and identify the unbelievers in our circle of influence, those family members and friends and neighbors and work associates and schoolmates and others who have not yet embraced Jesus Christ as the forgiver and leader of their lives. Now, stats tell us that on the average, we should be able to identify somewhere between 3 and 12 people that we have regular contact with in our daily lives who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. At the beginning of this series of lessons back on February 7th, we listed some names on cards and we brought them forward. We laid them up here at the foot of the cross. If you didn't get a chance to participate in that or maybe you thought of another name you'd like to add, there's some extra cards back there in the lobby. After service is over today, go grab one of those and write another name down. Bring the card up and lay it here. Symbolic of you laying them at the feet of Jesus and praying for them. I urge you to think that through. This exercise of listing names, I think, raises our awareness of the people that God has placed inside our circle of influence. And the intersection of our lives with unbelievers, folks, that's no accident. (laughs) No accident at all. This is God's plan to spread the good news. It happens through relationships. And so second, readiness for evangelism requires that we look around. Number three, we need to look up. Look up. Our readiness for evangelism, in other words, requires prayer. Lots and lots of prayer. It's so important that we intercede faithfully and fervently for those who are in our circle of influence on a daily basis. Do you take time every day to name these people by name before God and plead and cry out for their salvation? That's something every one of us ought to do. Now, how do we pray for the lost? That's a good question. So I listed some suggestions there in your notes. You might want to take a look at them. I'll just read through them. You can look up these Scriptures on your own later. First, pray that God draws them to Himself, that He woos them. Then pray that they believe the Bible, the truth. Pray that Satan is bound from blinding them to the truth. Pray that the Holy Spirit accomplishes His work of conviction, which the Holy Spirit alone can do. Pray that God sends other laborers to help you and bring in the harvest. Pray that they believe in Jesus as their own personal Savior. And pray that they confess with their mouths and with their lives that Jesus is, in fact, the Lord of their lives. Now, there are probably other suggestions. But third, our readiness for evangelism requires that we look up, that we pray. Number four, we need to look for 
Readiness for evangelism requires that we look for opportunities to what I call raise the flag in our everyday relationships with unbelievers. Raising the flag simply means what Peter urges in today's text. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Paul put it this way in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Read this one out loud with me too, would you? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, to take advantage of every opportunity, to make the most of every opportunity, means that we should be prepared at all times to give an answer, to interject a spiritual thought. Again, to raise the flag. Establishing our identity as a Christian. Let me give you a couple examples of that. What do I mean by that? Well, you go out to eat at a restaurant with your family and your friends who don't know the Lord, and you simply say to them, would you mind if I offer a word of thanks for this food before we eat together? What are you doing? You're raising the flag. This is important to you to give thanks to God for His provision in our lives. Or let's say you're talking with a family member or a friend who's having some real difficult struggles in his or her life. And you just simply stop and look them in the eye and say, could I please pray with you right now about that? By the way, I've never found too many people to say no to that. <laughs> Most people will agree, yeah. And then, actually, the best thing in the world to do is to pray with them right there. Sometimes if you're on the phone talking to somebody, pray over the phone. That works. <laughs> God hears that. But look for opportunities. You know what I'm saying here? Raise the flag. Let people know that your relationship with God is something that's a part of your everyday life. And so forth. Our readiness for evangelism requires that we look for. Number five, we need to look back. Look back. Readiness for evangelism requires that we look back to our own conversion experience and be prepared to share what I call our faith story. The personal testimony of how we came to know Christ. Now there's a couple of good examples of that in Paul's life. In Acts chapter 22, he gives his testimony before the Jews. Four chapters later, Acts 26, he gives his testimony before Festus and Agrippa. Now personally, I believe that a good personal testimony um, should be well planned and should be concise. In fact, should be no longer than two to three minutes long. I call it an elevator speech. <laughs> you know, you know what that is. You get on the elevator and you only got to the fifth floor to say everything you need to say to the person that's on there because you're both getting off. So, how do you condense it down to that? You practice it. You work on it. You condense it. You well plan it, and it should include at least these three areas. First, a brief synopsis of what your life was like before you became a Christian. Not a long thing there, by the way. Uh, sometimes people you know, will almost glorify what they were like before they came to know Jesus. Don't do that. By the way, you're talking to an unbeliever anyway. They understand what it's like to not have Christ because they're experiencing that right now. So just touch on that ever so briefly. Followed by then a brief description of how and when you became a Christian. How'd that happen? What brought you to that point where you bowed your knee before Christ? Where you embraced Jesus Christ as the forgiver and the leader of your life? And then finally, a brief witness of how God has blessed you since you became a Christian. What's your life like now? How's it different now than what it was before you came to know the Lord? If you've never done so, I encourage you to actually take the time and effort. Get a blank piece of paper 
and actually go through the exercise of writing out your personal testimony. It should fill just one piece of paper. That's it. You got about the right length if you do that. And again, talk about before, talk about when it happened in your conversion, talk about what's different after you came to Christ. Just kind of pencil that out because when you do that, it makes it a little more concrete in your mind and it will help you to be ready at any point in time that the opportunity arises for you to share your faith story. So fifth, our readiness for evangelism requires that we look back. Number six, we need to look out. Look out. This takes us back to last Sunday's lesson. Readiness for evangelism requires that we look out for obstacles and hindrances to sharing the good news. And last Sunday again, in our study of the parable of the sower, it taught us the resistance to evangelism comes from three different sources. First, from Satan, who sows his counterfeit seed, his lies and half-truths of what the Bible calls his weeds. And then secondly, from ourselves, that we as sowers resist because of our fears, because of our isolation from unbelievers, because of our conformity to the world, uh, busyness, laziness, apathy, and so on the list goes. And then thirdly, unbelievers themselves, who as the soil have hard hearts or hasty hearts or halfway hearts. The soil of their heart, in other words, needs to be cultivated and prepared before it could ever receive the seed of truth, the seed of faith that's there. I love Paul's words. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I love his attitude probably more than even his words. Look at it with me. He says, Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that attitude. We need to have that same kind of attitude. In other words, Paul was doing anything and everything that he possibly could to share the good news with anyone and everyone despite these barriers and hindrances that he faced. He was bound to determine he was going to push through any and all resistance in order for him to have the opportunity to reach as many people as possible for Jesus at any cost. And so sixth, readiness for evangelism requires that we look out. Number seven, we need to look at. We need to look out. Look at what? Well, readiness for evangelism requires that we be ready to share Scripture. To look at what the Bible says about Jesus. That must happen. Read Romans 10 and verse 17 out loud with me. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word. Through the Word. This is the seed that must be planted in people's hearts. And as we are being good news, visualization, there does come a point in time where we must share good news, verbalization. We need to once and for all debunk the notion that letting our light shine is all that we need to do. Well, that's only half of it. (laughs) Visualization is only half of the equation. There must also be the verbalization. We've got to debunk that theory that, oh, I'm just going to let my light shine. You know? In fact, fasten your seatbelt and watch this. 
As Christians, when people bring up the topic of evangelism, what do you think that means? Well, in my experience, people usually end up in one of two camps. Camp 1 says you need to talk about Jesus and live a life that's consistent with what you believe, and Camp 2 says all you have to do is live a good life. It'll speak for itself. Well, first of all, it's a big jump to assume that anyone can live a good life, don't you think? I mean, Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, None is righteous, no, not one, and no one does good, not even one. That doesn't convince you. In Mark 10, a man comes up to Jesus and kneels down before him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds promptly with, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, not only is Jesus subtly claiming to be God here, he's making it pretty clear that nobody is good except for him. Hence the no one is good part. But this is the sideshow to the main event, folks. So step right up and let's get down to it. And let's assume when Camp 2 says good life, they just mean if you live a visible godly life, people will just by watching you understand all they need to know about God. Okay, let's play that out, shall we? And let's ask Bruce if he can help us. Hey, Bruce, hey. So Bruce grabs a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, and a Christian, and he tells you to follow each of those folks around, and after simply watching them, you'll know all you need to know about God. Now, each goes to a place every week and sits among like-minded folks. Each person prays. Each treats you with respect. Each loves his family. is honest with his money. He's basically a nice person. So, which God do you pick based on just watching? Who's right? How do you know? Who do you compare unless they tell you why they do what they do? Talking, it seems, becomes critical. No doubt nature reveals much about the visible attributes of God, but how do you know exactly what he requires of you? I mean, who he really is and what his ultimate plan is without some kind of specific revelation from him. I mean, how would you know if your mother wanted you to paint the left wall of the garage red if it wasn't specifically communicated to you in some way, usually by writing a note or speaking to you? So, what did God deem the best way to communicate the specifics of his will? Did he summon porpoises to do a modern dance? Did he draw word pictures in the clouds? No. To communicate precisely the things he wanted you to know, he intervened throughout history and spoke through men, ultimately moving some of them to write the Bible. That is, he spoke and he wrote no. How would we know if God created the heavens and the earth in six days, that Adam and Eve were created in a perfect world, but their rebellion brought sin and death into the world, that it's the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone that saves us? How would you know that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave? How would you know any detail about God and his word and his plan if nobody told us? Well, we wouldn't. We couldn't. And that's why you got to tell people things. You, you just can't hope people will catch on by watching you live a so-called good life. It's just not enough. Ultimately, you got to tell them why you live that way. But don't just take my word for it. My inquiring Berean band of misfits read along in Romans 10. And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted and how can they hear if nobody tells them? Jesus himself definitively declares in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's kind of hard to baptize in the name of somebody without actually saying the name and it's pretty difficult to teach people to observe commandments without telling them what those commandments are, right? I mean, I could go on until my mouth falls off, but suffice to say, Christians are commanded to live a life worthy of the calling, which irrefutably includes things like giving reasons and answers for our hope and engaging in a conversation about Christ. So this idea that you never have to speak out about your faith and all you have to do is live a good life and people will catch on has been debunked. Adios. <laughs> hey, I told you you needed to fasten your seatbelt, man. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for me to talk that fast, but anyway. <sighs> you got the point though, right? Okay. I mean, we must bring our unbelieving family and friends face-to-face with Jesus. In the Bible, God's Word. Because that is where and when the seed is planted. The seed of faith in their hearts. Now, I personally like to use the bridge illustration when it comes to share the good news with unbelievers. Some of you have heard and seen me share this evangelism tool before. Others of you, this is going to be new. But I felt this morning that at least I needed to share a condensed version of this in order to equip you to be ready to share when the opportunity presents itself. You can follow along up here on the monitors. I gave you kind of the finished version of it on the second insert that's in your bulletin today. 
But let me just kind of walk you through this real quick. And I'm going to do this about one-fourth quicker than what I would have done it in a normal situation, okay? I wouldn't talk as fast as that guy, but I'm about ready to. <laughs> First of all, I just talked to people about how God created us to have a relationship with Him. And we desire that relationship. We want to be loved by God and we want in turn to love God back in return. But we have rebelled against Him. And we've broken off that relationship by our sin. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short. We all have missed the mark. Every one of us. And now there is fixed between us and God this huge gulf that nobody can possibly cross in their own efforts. But we do try. And we do this and we do that. We do good works. We go to church. We pray. We think, oh, I'm a good person. If I'm good enough, then God will allow me to have a relationship with Him. But no, that's not how it works because every one of those efforts falls short. Furthermore, the sins we've committed have to be punished. And that punishment is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. Not just Physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. But God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is He built a bridge back to Himself. He did that by paying our death penalty when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. He defeated death once and for all on our behalf for us. Now it's not enough for us just to know this. We must act upon it by admitting that we've rebelled, that we've sinned, and by acknowledging that we desire Jesus Christ to be the finished work on the cross to be what we take by faith so we can enter that relationship with God once again. And then I always end by saying, where are you on this diagram? In fact, let me stop there for just a moment. (laughs) I know I just shared that really quick. But I don't want to assume that everybody that's here this morning knows Jesus. Or you might know Him, but maybe you're still over on this side over here. If I were to ask you one-on-one where are you on this diagram, you'd have to paint yourself on this side over here because you've never taken the steps to cross over into a relationship with Jesus. If that's where you are today, I plead with you. (laughs) Don't let another day go by without placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Without acknowledging Him and His work on the cross for you. So you can have a personal relationship restored with God. You can be God's child and enjoy the love He pours out upon you and the love that you can pour out upon Him. So, if you've never crossed over, do it today. In fact, see me after the service. I would be delighted to help you in your your spiritual journey here to talk about how to cross over that bridge in a little more detail. Now I'll stop there and just simply say the great thing I like about the bridge illustration, quite honestly, is that you can use it in almost any situation where you have something to write on and something to write with. I've shared this, this illustration on the back of a napkin at a restaurant. Many times I've shared it on a placemat at a restaurant. Love to leave them behind and always wonder what the waitresses think. <laughs> uh, one time I actually shared it with a piece of construction paper and a crayon. Guess where I was? I was in a preschool room. One other time I remember I shared it up on a whiteboard in a classroom in a high school with a teacher who was looking for answers. Again, if you have something to write on and something to write with, 
you can use this bridge illustration. And I encourage you to, to, to practice this illustration, or if you prefer another tool, then practice it, whatever. Get it down so that you can, you can do it freely and naturally, so that you are always ready at a moment's notice to be able to share the good news, be able to explain how somebody comes into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So very important. So seventh, readiness for evangelism requires that we look at. Number eight, we need to look to. Look to. Readiness for evangelism requires teamwork. We must look to one another for support and accountability. Not only that, but we must not overlook the powerful witness of the body of believers as a whole. Jesus Himself said in John 13.35, By this all men, all unbelievers, will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. In his book, Living Proof, Jim Peterson writes, Don't underestimate the collective impact a nucleus of Christians can have on the non-Christian. The simple fact that the group exists with its unique ability to love one another is in itself a powerful statement to the world. It is a testimony to the reality of the message. We are a transformed people. Jesus was sent by the Father and there is hope for anybody. It's one of the main reasons, by the way, that we've been urging everyone to pray for the lost people in your circle of influence. This is why we laid these, these cards at the foot of the cross earlier this month all the way through Easter Sunday. So we would be lifting them up in prayer. We'd be naming them before God. This is why we're urging you to invite people, these people, to be your guests on Easter Sunday, March the 27th. Because for many people, their spiritual journey began with a simple invitation from a family member or friend who said, would you be my guest on Easter Sunday? I cannot tell you how many times over the years I've seen people come to the Lord through that simple invitation. It's all about getting that person that you're praying for around other believers, us. And we're all a team working on it. By the way, when you ask somebody, will they be your guest? Remember what we learned last week? 82% of those who are invited by a friend will say yes. It's amazing. A simple invitation. So eighth, readiness for evangelism requires that we look to. Number nine, we need to look forward. Readiness for evangelism requires that we look forward with great joy and anticipation to the commitment that our unbelieving family and friends will make to Christ and the church. I mean, even heaven itself loves to celebrate conversion. (laughs) Jesus said in Luke 15 and verse 7, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And as we share the good news, let's have confidence and boldness, expecting that unbelievers will in fact respond to that good news. I mean, it is after all good news, is it not? Yes, it is. Why would they not receive it as good news? And when our unbelieving family and friends see it visualized in our lives and they hear it verbalized through our presentation of God's plan of salvation to them, we should anticipate that they would want to become a disciple too. It's the only logical thing to do. And so ninth, readiness for evangelism requires that we look forward. And number ten, we need to look again. Look again. Readiness for evangelism requires that we recognize that the process of sharing the good news really never ends. 
It's a process of unending reproduction, continuous multiplication. When one of your unbelieving relatives or friends comes to Christ, then the process of evangelism begins anew, only this time there's now two evangelists. (laughs) You and your friend that you just led to Christ. And both you and your friend can start the cycle over again with others who do not yet know Christ. In fact, I, I put up here on the board the monitors, and then you also have a handout that has this little chart on it. I want to call your attention to that because this is an actual real-life illustration. There was a man named Ron who shared the Gospel with his cousin Ken and his wife Mary. And then you'll see where it goes from there. Ken and Mary shared with Elmer and Ann, the father of Mary, and Gordon, the brother, was shared with by Elmer and Ann. And you see how it goes from there, Bob. I mean, just see how it multiplies out there? All of this, by the way, happened in the space of just over a year. All these people came to know Jesus because of the efforts of people who took this call to evangelism seriously. And again, it happens through relationships. It is a multiplication principle. Paul put it this way, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the good news that you have heard me preach in public, you should entrust, in turn entrust to reliable men who will be able to pass it on to others, who in turn will then pass it on to others, who in turn will then pass it on to others, who in turn will then pass it on to others, who in turn will then... You get the idea? It never ends. never ends. So 10th, readiness for evangelism requires that we look again. Rediscovering evangelism. What the Bible teaches about being salt and light. This morning we've wrapped up this lesson series with readiness for evangelism. Ten steps. I call them ten looks that will help us to be ready at all times to share the good news with others. Back to our text one more time. 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. Let's read it out loud together as we close. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Well, those are two good verses, aren't they? We ought to commit those to memory. And most of all, we ought to put them to practice. That we would always, always, always be prepared to share the good news of Jesus with others.